We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All of our biggest takeaways from week one, and that's what we're talking about today, on Stealing Bananas. I'm Ben Gretsch. You can find Stealing Signals at bangretsch.substack.com. With me, as always, is Sean Siegel. Follow his great work over at Rotoviz. And we are back for a Sunday night show, which we did a couple of years ago in 2021. Last year, you heard it uh, over at Rotoviz Overtime. And I know, Sean, you'll also be doing some early week stuff with Calm. We're going to do some Stealing Banana shows here on, on Sunday nights. We're not really sure if we're going to do it for the whole year or what, but we're going to we're gonna do some because we want to chat uh, certainly about week one and certainly for the first few weeks. Yeah, and uh, a wild week one. It wasn't – I mean, it was – some of it was was very exciting. Some of it was frankly just not very good. It was you know kind of mixed results, but yeah. And then and then there's the heartbreaker, the J.K. Dobbins injury already, which was a, a huge bummer. It, I mean, it's good to be back in season. It's also you know fantasy football has a funny way of giving you a gut punch every now and then. It's just kind of a bummer to to be right back in and have. Dobbins is a guy, Sean, I, I don't think it was on the show, but you and I had talked, in, and I think just in the last week, we ended up doing one draft that we didn't record, and I think you said to me, not on the show if I'm not mistaken, but that his, he was probably the most mispriced guy in fantasy, and, and I, I was like, you know, I think you're totally right. I was agreeing with you, but I thought it was a great call. I mean, of all the, of all the guys in that subset of backs that we talked about really liking – Dobbins was really one that didn't make any sense because he, he did get healthy. He was healthy, and he, and he looked fantastic. In my Stealing Signals notes, I'm writing in the first half about how good he looked. He was he was looking, he was was catching some passes in this like new offense. They're throwing a little bit more. That, that was a bummer. It was tough. It was tough. And, I mean, my heart goes out to him because, in, you know, right now, the Chiefs are dealing with a frustrating thing with Chris Jones, where he actually has a very large contract for this year that he feels like he should get more from. And even though he's getting a lot, he's extremely good. And you can understand why. You have the play today with Dobbins, and you can understand why he was holding in a little bit. You can understand why Jonathan Taylor is upset. Because as hard as it was for us, I mean, just imagine being Dobbins today where you're having that amazing start and you've worked your way back. And I mean, you are legitimately and very literally one of the most electric players in football. And then that happens. And and one of the things, there's all this debate about, you know, should you be drafting Brees Hall? Should you be drafting Javante Williams? Should be drafting these guys coming off of the ACL tears and the Achilles is a much more serious injury. I mean, we're looking at, you know, his career now in, in many ways being ruined. And so, yeah, I mean, it's horrible. That's the first thing I thought of as well. It's just like everything that he's gone through over the last couple of years, he tears the ACL 
tries to come back last year and re-injures in a way that he needs to end up having an additional surgery cleanup last season. It's just like one of the last guys you would want to see get hurt in any kind of way because it's just, like you said, I mean, it's, it's really the case. I mean, the, the, the career ruined kind of comment. I mean, there are players who just never get to be healthy for a long enough period of time to really show us what they're capable of doing. Dobbins is a rookie, 134 carries, six yards per carry. Looked great. And then he tears his ACL before he even gets to play a snap in year two. Last year was year three. He plays in eight games, but he's never really healthy. But still, 5.7 yards per carry was great. Yeah, I mean, he had one of the best numbers in terms of yards overexpected, despite the fact that he's out there limping. I mean, this guy is unbelievable. And now, I mean, you're just going to be really deep into his trajectory through his career before he would project to be 100% again. And I just... Yeah, we talk about the Achilles as kind of an 18-month injury. And so, you know, when, when when the ACL happens early in the year, you can say, oh, well, it's going to be a full 12 months and they'll have time to be ready for week one next year. But the Achilles kind of takes out this whole season and potentially next season. Man, I hadn't really thought through all the ramifications, but you just feel so horrible for him. He turns 25 in December. He'll be close to 20. He'll, he'll be beyond 26 18 months from now i mean you might be talking about 2025 season when he's 26 years old the next time that we can really feel great about him hopefully you know next year he, he can he can play really well even just 12 months removed from the achilles but obviously he won't play again this season and that will be two basically entirely lost seasons in the last three and then the majority of the third He'll have handled, I think he had 10 touches today. He'll have handled 109 touches over the last three seasons combined, which is, you know, the, his whole rookie contract. He's, he's at 251 for his career entering this year, touches. So, I mean, it's just hasn't, he played his whole rookie contract and, the, and he, because of injuries, it's only really been able to handle about 260 touches across that whole span, which is just, yeah, I mean, Put it all in the context. It's just kind of a bummer. There's not much more to say about that. But, um, Sean, let's get to some of the other games because, I mean, we've done the – remember last year we did the the injury impact, all of that stuff on, you know, on the Trey Lance and on everything. I I immediately felt for you because you've really liked Dobbins and his talent. There's only so much that can be said about it. I mean, I think everybody (laughs) kind of knows what it means for – Obviously, like you said, for the player, but then also for us and, and for our teams, we have Dobbins and I think more than half our main events. We did, we did five together. We have them in three. So we're not going to dwell on that. We're going to move on to some of the other games. And well, and Ben here, for I mean, this is going to be something that a lot of our listeners are also dealing with. And depending on you know what your exposure is, and certainly if you are playing in you know one league, that's your home league that you wanted to win, that's the most important to you and you drafted him and he was going to be a big part of it then you know that part is really hard there you know are millions of people playing fantasy football and a lot of them are are frustrated with that today because both their heart goes out to the player and it does mess up their team obviously if you think someone is the most undervalued player in fantasy you're going to have some decent shares the kind of other two players that we had mentioned were Travis Etienne, who, I mean, man, his touchdown run today was the perfect example of why I don't directly compare him to Jamal Charles, but I put their name in the same sentences a lot because there are stylistic similarities and there are some talent similarities. Obviously, Etienne's got to do a lot of stuff before he can get to where he is with Jamal Charles. And then the QB version of that that we mentioned was Tua. And, man, <laughs> I mean, the Miami Dolphins looked awfully awfully good today the uh but the thing with dobbins is that if you draft the way that we encourage then number one week one should never be your best week because you have a lot of players with a wide range of outcomes and a lot of contingency based upside and a lot of young players who are going to get better as the season goes along but that overall depth should stand you in good stead and 
I mean, to some people, this is just going to sound like a gratuitous mention of something that I've done in the past. And to some people, hopefully it will be, you know, a little bit encouraging, but the team that I drafted that I was very lucky to have win the NFFC primetime in 2013, my second round pick on that team was Julio Jones. And he does go down in week five and miss the rest of the season. And then in the first week of the, the race, Rob Gronkowski, who was the third round pick is lost in the first half of what would have been then week 14 and doesn't go the rest of the way. It doesn't help your chances, but you can lose great players. I mean, if you were to say that J.K. Dobbins was going to go and have the kind of season that Julio Jones had during his peak (laughs) and that you're losing that, I mean, that's probably a ceiling outcome for Dobbins. But you can lose a player like a Julio Jones and still have a lot of success if you've loaded your team with a lot of talent. It's going to make it harder. But today doesn't end the season, even for those teams where J.K. Dobbins was a key piece. You are always the optimist on this show between the two of us. I'm always the pessimist, so I'll tell a a different side of the story. The team that we drafted that we didn't record, I was really excited about because we got the 12th pick and I had been wanting to build one from the back end where we could go receiver, receiver. We got Garrett Wilson to fall there. We didn't get Amon Ra. He went 11. It was uh, the day before I flew to Vegas. You and I got one last team in. Uh, so, but it was before the Almond Rock game on Thursday night. We almost got both him and Garrett Wilson, but we got Garrett Wilson and AJ Brown at the turn. It was a pretty receiver heavy first round, but you know, Lame and Diggs and those guys went. Wilson fell, and we're recording this Sunday night. We have not seen Garrett Wilson or Brees Hall yet. I'm very excited for Monday Night Football to get a chance to see those guys. Uh, hoping they're going to really put a, a cap on on the first weekend. And yeah, I, I don't think they're going to let me know. I'm, I'm pretty excited for the Jets. Um, to play and the bills as well a lot of great players there too but we did that and then we went back and took four straight running backs as we've talked a lot about this year sean and we got i want to say it was ramondre and etn at three four we didn't take Brees on this team and then at five six it was dobbins and javante i think and as we talked through it one of the things I said is just like, you know, we were talking about, obviously we feel really great about those running backs and there's a lot of firepower there and there's different ways that that can play out. And, you know, some, you, know, you could have a guy maybe miss some time in this and that. But one of the things I said to you was the one thing you can't have is one guy miss the whole year. You can't hit the, I think I said to you, you can't hit the ACL. <laughs> we didn't hit the ACL. We hit the Achilles. I mean, it's, it's dark humor. I'm not obviously, again, feel horrible for jk dobbins a human being and, and i'm not laughing because it's funny we felt really cool about really great about that team and then we you know came back and we got the receiver depth and then we had some fun options with later quarterbacks and tight ends it's a fun build i can't remember the whole team but i know we had those four running backs and felt like with garrett wilson and aj brown as these stud two receivers you don't necessarily need to be playing all four all year you can start four in this format but you really wanted to be able to play three, and then if one was struggling or injured or whatever, that they had the ability to come back, and, and you could kind of layer it in because you, you took that much draft capital at the running back position. You don't want to hit the complete zero, basically. And so that was my favorite but team. We've got <laughs> we've got the four. Now we've got the three. The three will work. The now three will work. Three. They just need That's to right. hit. When you talk about the contingency and the redundancy and those things, we do have options. That team is not done. We did hit more receiver depth later. And if we hit some breakout receivers, I can't remember who it was. It's probably like Burks and Quentin Johnston, I think. If one of those guys does wind up performing really well this year. And they were world beaters in week one. Yeah. <laughs> Took the top off everything. But a lot of time, if uh, if we do get some positive thing, Yeah, I mean, the optimist side of it is is very positive. So, Ben, we want to encourage people to react but not overreact. And this year, it's not even hard to make a case for that because the two teams that have dominated the AFC over the last two years, you could make a case look like the two worst teams in football in week one. And if we are pretty confident that the Chiefs and the Bengals aren't the two worst teams in football, then we also have to keep an open mind about the other 30 teams. That's great putting it. I actually have that note in my 
Kenny Pickett breakdown where he had some really, really poor numbers. And I was like, yeah, but are we going to pretend like Joe Burrow sucks because he had some poor numbers in week one? Like, that's kind of the context I was putting into it. I mean, they just paid Joe Burrow a lot of money, but you wonder if he's the right guy to play in Ohio because there was a lot of A.J. Dalton action today from going to the glove. You've got some rain. I was feeling for Curtis a little bit. I was thinking, I'm glad I don't live in Ohio. And, I mean, those passes were not traveling across the line of scrimmage. <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, that was brutal. Um, another brutal week one note that we have to discuss. It's one of the things I want to discuss with you. Again, we're getting into the dark humor here early in the season. Arthur Smith's building the whole plan out of running back points. You did mention to me that maybe I wasn't factoring in the the scope of the running back pie in Atlanta enough as we talked through some of the uh, Falcons running back stuff on one of the shows. 18 pass attempts, only 48 total plays, nine targets for Bijan and Tyler Algier combined. That is 50% of the pass attempts because there was only 18. Kyle Pitts and Drake London back in hell. Well, so I feel like I described how this team was going to work very accurately. I'm still enthusiastic that Desmond Ritter is going to be more dynamic than he was today. But I mean, you've got to let him do a little something, right? Because at one point he had completed like 10 passes in a row and they picked up like three yards. <laughs> it's like, throw it somewhere that matters, right? Throw saw, it somewhere that makes any difference whatsoever. I saw his dot was something like 3.5. It was very low, which happens when you throw half of your passes to your running backs. Bijan Robinson looked great. Awesome TD on, on the reception where he evades a tackle and then runs through another. He gives you the, <laughs> Forced missed tackle and the you know yards after contract contact in the same play. I mean, would you have thought that he could have a 20-point game to start the season when Tyler Algier scores, what, 24-25? I mean, one of the things that we talked about with this, and one of the reasons why we were on Ramondre Stevenson and on Brees Hall, and obviously we don't know how the Hall one is going to play out, and I wouldn't take any individual game as being definitive for like what the season means, how the season's going to work. But there are a small handful of teams that even though we know that one of the things that Blair has written about, and obviously plenty of other people have written about, but Blair has looked at it specifically through the EP lens is that your market share of expected points at the running back position is more predictive of your future scoring than your actual EP is. And yet if you take that kind of information and use it in a way that doesn't consider what individual teams are actually like and what their tendencies are and what where their talent is and how they scheme, how their play caller calls the plays, then you'll be taking the wrong conclusions from that. And one of the things that we have with the Falcons, and certainly you're expecting to have with a team like the Jets, you know, taking those trends, you know, from the Packers with you know coordinator and QB and all those types of things you have these teams that create massive amounts of running back points. And one of the things here that I kept talking about with Dalvin cook and Ezekiel Elliott is that Tyler Algier is far better than those two guys. And yet people are drafting Bijan Robinson in the first round and the people drafting Bijan Robinson in the first round are not necessarily wrong because then uh, I don't know if I've, and you can even can include people like a David Johnson, include people like a rookie Saquon Barkley. And I don't know that I have seen a guy on an NFL field look as big and as athletic as Bijan looked today. He I mean, he's great. absolutely unreal. Just absolutely unreal. Yeah, really no other way to explain that. As you're talking through that, and especially the market share point and the specific offenses, I you know was drawn back to our recent conversations about Sean Payton and how so particularly when he was with the Saints, I mean, you would have got lost if you were really worried about, you know, who's getting the market share of the of the touches. Because that that's, I mean, when I had Darren Sproles and, and then other guys, there was a lot of total EP for the running backs. And that's sort of the point you're making here. Some of these offenses are going to have a ton 
of total expected points for the running back position. What about Pitts in London? I mean, one of the things, Sean, we talked about specifically as it related to these two was this threat of Arthur Smith, like that we had to take it seriously, that we couldn't just analyze these players the same. And then as it related to those two, that you you kind of just, if you're going to make the the bet and then take some risk on, you had to just take the cheaper one that has tight end eligibility because so much of the potential negative for both Pitts and London revolved around the actual offensive design and volume factors that don't really relate to Kyle Pitts and Drake London as players. We talked through this a little bit as it related to our dynasty team way earlier in the offseason, and I was kind of making the case that I didn't really know that Drake London could have a good enough year to to maintain his lofty price. We ended up trading him. And I'm obviously very concerned about Pitts too, but it does feel like that particular take is at least true. I, I'm more concerned about London at his cost and, and what it's going to mean for him the rest of the way. And they didn't have a lot else happening. They did have Mac Hollins with the four targets. He catches three for 31. Most of the time, you know, it's going to be London there. But it just, it's extremely disconcerting coming off of a season where Pitts had just been so good as a rookie and he was obviously not a focal point. And one of the, you know, sort of worrying things that came out in the final week, which I had kind of thought was factored in and that people had already considered in Pitts draft cost that was not expensive in any way shape or form but was just this idea that the offense wasn't going to really emphasize pits it's like i mean it's not going to emphasize any of those guys right i mean it's going to be about Bijan robinson and, and tyler algier drake london is so good or he has enough upside he has the ability to get open for a big receiver that i mean he's going to have some big games and so i don't think you're going to get to the end of the season if you drafted him and and to say this is the you know the one guy who lost to your league because most of the teams that they play frankly are just going to be much 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 better than the carolina panthers I mean, one of the things i think came out of this game is that the panthers are further away maybe than i thought you and i did a show on the rookie quarterbacks and i haven't had a chance to watch the houston game so i don't know about stroud bryce young in the second half today i mean bryce young looked good right and yet look good in a way where it's going to take him a while like it takes a lot of the rookie qbs to actually do anything in part because he has zero weapons we almost got a lavisca chenault touchdown early in the game and that was like the best looking play they had in the entire game <laughs> so, Marshall had a catch early too that looked kind of nice and you know those guys didn't play a ton in august they were banged up but yeah the fact that you know no one i, I had the exact same takeaway i was like because I, I bet uh, Brees Young, Offensive Rookie of the Year over at Stealing Lions, and I was like, man, I'm already kind of regretting that. He was 5-1, to one, and I think he was pretty clearly the best quarterback to play. Bijan was the odds-on favorite at the time, and I assume still is. But I was watching that game, and I was like, I mean, I both think Young still looks good and also think that he is going to have a hard time winning that award because this offense is not going to be very good for him. And if anything, today might overstate some of the things because for the most part, the Falcons did not try to pressure him. And so he's standing back there for a long time at different periods and still can't find anybody. And one of the things I thought was, you know, unfortunate, but maybe not unexpected was that he did put some balls up deep where, I mean, probably a lot of it is on him, but he obviously didn't want to make a mistake. And yet there just was no explosiveness from either Marshall or Mingo as they try to run under those balls. I mean, obviously some of this is just it, it, the first week is so tough because everybody on like 90% of their takes, they think that whatever happened confirms kind of what they had been telling people. And then the other 10%, they're sort of terrified of because it looks like it could be very far off. <laughs> right. But it's actually going to be worse than that as the season goes along. We're not going to be right on 90% of the things either. Some of the things you feel like you're right about today are going to turn out to be incorrect. But, I mean, I was joking with Colm on one of our drafts when we were stashing Jamison Williams. And both when you watch how the Lions looked in week one, you can understand why, if they're going to accomplish their objectives, 
Williams has to actually be a big part of it because those other guys after Amon Ra are egregiously bad. But also, when you look at Bryce Young and how he's throwing some of these passes up there, you know he's thinking to himself, like, good golly. I mean, these players are so much less athletic than Jamison Williams was when I was just tossing the ball up and he was running for a bunch of 75-yard touchdowns. So on both sides of it, I mean, that type of athleticism is not easy to replace. And I, I do think that the Panthers team is well coached. I think that they're going to grow with him. I think they're going to be some good things for them this season. There were points in this game where because of what Arthur Smith is doing, where you're like, I kind of think the Panthers are going to win. Then that goes away because the Panthers were so bad in the third and fourth quarters. But I mean, he, he looked pretty cool. And the, the flip side of that was you have this Indianapolis Colts game where they're able to accomplish so much in the first sort of two thirds of that game and manage Anthony Richardson's strengths and weaknesses in such a way that, I mean, they looked like they might very well take out the Jaguars, but as soon as there was a little pressure for him to throw an NFL pass, and this isn't like just on him or anything like that. There were about a third of the NFL teams who either didn't ask their quarterback to throw what I would consider like a traditional NFL pass or on the handful of occasions that they asked them to their quarterback wasn't able to right so it's this isn't just anthony richardson specifically but there were three or four passes late in that game where the accuracy scattering report from college really jumped out at you because you're just not used to seeing an nfl quarterback miss a pass by like yards and like both long and wide or and again it's not we shouldn't hold him to a higher standard in his first nfl game than we would hold superstars like Deshaun Watson, who was on the winning end of an easy victory and yet looked absolutely terrible. Other than running the ball, but yeah, throwing the football, struggled. And then um, Joe Burrow, who couldn't even throw the ball across the line of scrimmage. And yeah, so, so you, make I mean, that... you don't hold like rookies in the first game to a higher standard than superstars. Right. I mean, it's week one can be tough. One of my absolute favorite things in the entire world is attending live events. The atmosphere, the sound, all the little intricate details you can see when you're there live in person. It is just an amazing time. One of the biggest downsides though of it can be the stress and trying to find tickets before the event to make sure you get the best seats. And that is where game time comes in. Buying tickets to your favorite events shouldn't be stressful. Game time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for sports, music, comedy, and theater theater near you with killer deals on last minute tickets on their best price guarantee you can stop stressing over tickets and start getting hyped for the fun that you're about to have game time is the place to get those last minute ticket deals and it's the fastest growing ticket app in the country for a reason exclusive flash deals on all the events coming up and you can buy tickets in a matter of seconds two taps and you're set and you can snag tickets today without the stress with game time download the game time app create an account and you Use the code RotoViz for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code RotoViz for $20 off. Download game time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. 
For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Yeah, you, I, I think you're totally right about the Richardson thing. There was pros and cons there. They played fast. He throws 37 passes or something, which, you know, again, com- like Ritter threw, I think, fewer than half as many passes as Richardson did in his first ever game. And I did. I expected Richardson to be running a ton. Uh, speaking of the Steely Lions bets, Dalton found a fun one that was an alt line on Richardson's rushing that was like 10 to 1 for him to run for 100 yards. And I, you know, I put some money on that one too while we were down in Vegas. Like, let's go for it. Like, um, I thought they would just be calling zone reads all game and it's either Richardson or the running back, but he throws 37 passes in an offense you, like that. I mean, if you have a lot of Richardson in fantasy, and you can certainly see why people would, even though I don't think either one of us does. If you have that, you were actually pretty disappointed by the rushing, especially after the early rushing touchdown, that everything really, like, there was nothing after that. And yeah. that has to be a big part of what they do. It, it does. But the pace and the and the volume, the play volume in this game, uh, both teams I have in my notes, uh, I hope this is right, uh, ran 69 plays each, which is a ton. They're not going to run 69 plays every game, which is part of the reason you're you're pointing out that Richardson does need to run more. He's not going to throw 37 pass attempts a game, but it is promising that they can get there. That's a number that we haven't seen Atlanta get to. And oh yeah, I mean, you have a, a coaching staff there that eventually wants to win the Super Bowl, whereas you have a coaching staff in Atlanta that eventually wants to go eight and nine. Did you see the quotes? Uh, Falcons coach Arthur Smith told that Drake London had. This is from Greg Almond, who's a, a great beat reporter. Uh, we've had him on order of his radio before told the Drake London had one fewer reception than Desmond Ritter in today's win. Let the fantasy guys worry about that. We've got to clean some things up. We don't care. Drake London doesn't care. All we care about is what to know. I mean, anybody on the planet who thinks that Drake London doesn't care, who thinks that Drake London isn't seething even more than fantasy owners tonight is in complete and total denial about like anything about what it is to be human or to like believe in yourself and your craft because you think he's having he's run blocking well all game and and i mean well that would be like us doing all these shows and writing all of these articles all season long and then like not being allowed to draft any teams or not being allowed to talk about fantasy football once the season started and then like I mean, thankfully, neither one of us actually have bosses, but some theoretical boss being like, oh, they don't care. <laughs> and you're like, they don't care. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> you were talking, I also wanted to circle back to uh, Bryce Young real quick, though, as we we're talking about the, the young guys. And then another broad macro point I want to make real quick, but on Bryce Young, you were talking about him not having the athleticism, not having the playmakers. There was a moment in this game, Jonathan Mingle, who actually is a pretty athletic player, but and Mingo and Young have worked together a lot this offseason because some of the other receivers have been banged up, and Mingo played quite a bit in the preseason. He ran a very basic out pattern, and Young put it on him, and he caught it, and it was just you know first down, 10, 11-yard gain or whatever. But the camera panned to Young, and he was like very seriously saying, good, you know, four-letter word starts with an S, right? And then he kind of says it again, right? And, he, and I was like... Yeah, I'm not trying to make too much out of this, but I think when you when you play with other athletes that you trust to do the right things and make a normal catch on a, a normal eight yard out, you probably don't go out of your way to tell them good job emphatically with a cuss word twice in a row. It's kind of like you are really trying to drive home that hey, you did that one. Like, I mean, it doesn't I don't know? It's just a quick out. Like, like do you really well? Gotta, you know like, that emphasize. That like Tyreek Hill is gonna celebrate everything that he does. And he did a lot. But like if you asked him afterward if it was anything special, he'd be like, uh, no, that's normal play for me. <laughs> Which is like the the gap between where a team like the Panthers is and where a team like the Dolphins is. It just it's a progression. It's not gonna happen overnight. Yeah, I mean, I guess the point I was making with the with the compliment, like the good job compliment is more there's probably a lot of other moments where Young is talking to Mingo after the play and saying, I actually need you to break two yards shorter and to, to get out of your break quicker, you rounded it off too much and this and that. And so 
you know, it was like that, that, that time it was right. Good job. That's, that's what I need you to do. Um, anyway, the other, the macro point, Sean, we talked a lot this off season about the cover two shells and the different offenses and what's going to happen. You know, the great podcast series from Jordan Rodriguez, the, the, the play callers, which was a really interesting look into where we are evolving as a league. You talked about the chiefs looking terrible. I did see a stat that was couched as a, or, or used to, to, to try to be positive about Sky Moore, who I don't, don't really have much reason to be positive about Sky Moore at this particular moment, but that he, uh, I guess, did, I can't remember where I saw this, but I, I guess did well against man coverage last year, but in that first game, and the Lions ran, I think, a lot of man last year, but they ended up running Wait, more zone, more cover two shells against the Chiefs. Then, and so the point was, okay, well, it wasn't really a great defensive look for what Sky used, has won against uh, in his short career. But it was also pointing out that they ran a bunch of cover two shells, and their whole thing was we're going to keep everything in front. Um, have to assume that some of what the Bengals were facing, I mean, that may have been some of what even like a Ritter was facing with a lot of his checkdowns and underneath underneath throws. But to your point earlier that a lot of quarterbacks around the NFL looked bad in week one, that is something that, that I thought about a lot. And I thought about it on Thursday night with the Lions and Chiefs. I took the over in that game. The over didn't hit. Part of the reason it didn't hit, it didn't seem like either quarterback was really able to push the ball downfield. They were kind of being forced into that longer slower drives and then things can happen you can have the the fumble that the lions had early in that game in the red zone it is a trickier way to play and we've talked about this on the show over the last couple of years sean as this has evolved but needing to build these long slow drives i mean to some degree it's almost like it's just like almost less enjoyable to watch i guess when you're a big fantasy football player as well like i I watched a lot of week one and thought man we are back into some of the weeks in 2022 that were pretty frustrating where you're not getting the offense you're not getting the big plays because defenses are just trying to stop the explosives that's their whole goal i think we can get there though and i think that we will get there at least in part that lions chiefs game could have gone a shootout if the receivers hadn't played so poorly because I mean, sky Moore number one, doesn't get open. And then number two doesn't, I mean, one of the things with Jonathan Mingo is that you look at his trajectory in college and you watch him play. And it's really hard to see where that tested athleticism is at the NFL level. At least it's been really difficult to see where the tested athleticism is for sky Moore because obviously tested decently. Obviously, beyond that, you have some fluky kind of plays where Kadarius Tony had the type of game that um, is just like a one in a million type of game. Now, Kadarius Tony is not some great player by any stretch, but the mistakes that he made in that game, I mean, you couldn't really do if you tried to do it on purpose. I mean, you just wouldn't play that bad again. Um, and then, if anything, Marvin Jones was worse, and it just gets covered up a little bit because the Lions won. Right. I mean, Marvin Jones was fumbling the ball or lateraling it to the defense or dropping like two yard completions throughout the game. (laughs) And so you can be more dynamic. And then you have a situation where the Chiefs thought that employing their terrible running backs instead of Jarrett McKinnon would help them win that game. And then you have a situation where the Lions give a ton of touches to a running back who averages fewer yards per carry than CEH. Those are things that can be changed and that the Lions have a back in Jameer Gibbs who didn't get the volume and he fell down when he was going to score this cool touchdown. Yeah. Yeah. And so as opposed to like Bijan Robinson, where we can say like everything that we thought about him is already coming true with Gibbs you're not quite there yet because it didn't actually come true in the first game in part because of his usage. But I left the game he excited. Yeah. I, I he looked faster than I thought he was going to be. Both of those guys, I thought were going to be game changing athletes and both of them were more impressive than I thought they were going to be. And so with the lions, I mean, you, you're going to have to make some moves. You can't keep doing what you're doing with that. That's gross and broken. Gibbs is a guy I took in 
and drafts with the ship chasing guys after the Thursday night game when we were in Vegas. Another one that you just mentioned that I did actually think was slightly bullish and go take after the game was Kadarius Tony. He only ran 11 routes, got five targets, couldn't catch anything. But also with the way that Sky Moore looked in that game, like and you have MVS running as many routes as he is, as soon as Kadarius Tony's ready to run 20 plus routes, he's probably going to get that many targets again. Like they need him. He's getting open. I had a couple of drafts where I was really disappointed that he got picked like one spot ahead of me. He didn't the other him. guy, and partly yeah. again, you know, you talk about after week one, everybody on 90% of the things is going to think that, you know, what they thought before was right. But I mean, Rasheed Rice is the best receiver on that team. And yeah, he's, he's going to score sure. a lot. Yeah. So I mean, one of the things that happened <laughs> in that game, and one of the things I think we saw happen in week one, and I even think that it happened to an extent in the Broncos game where they looked so good in the first half, the defenses made adjustments and then the offenses reacted by not using their playmakers, especially if those guys were inexperienced. And so we saw Rice make some good plays early in that Chiefs game and then because of some of the defensive adjustments, they actually did the thing they said they were going to do before the game, which is to make those guys very niche players in certain packages. And as a result, the Chiefs stopped moving the ball. I mean, you think about how Marvin Mims was involved in the Broncos game, despite the fact that they don't have Jerry Judy out there. I think that it's a very positive sign for Judy and Mims for the long term that in the first half, Russell Wilson looked basically back to himself. And you think about the game that the chargers looked you know phenomenal in so many ways but lose and they lose in part because (laughs) they don't have quentin johnson in the game and they do have guys like mike williams who just doesn't add anything out there running a bunch of routes and so one of the reasons i think we're going to see better football and more exciting football as the season develops is that some of these guys who were drafted to make big plays are going to start making them and you know we have a game where a late round draft pick who had been actually very buzzy but if you get the results that you get from the rams rookie or jsn then we're going to think he's like the greatest player of all time (laughs) Right. So these things are going to develop the Seahawks who, I mean, it was kind of cool because Kenneth Walker looked fantastic, but I mean, Geno Smith, one of the positives with him is he'd been so good, you know, all last season. And now you get another, you know, very good player. And yet they were completely befuddled in the passing game. I mean, these things are going to change. One of the things that was exciting is that Matthew Stafford now a little bit healthier. You were like, Oh yeah. Matthew Stafford has some pretty serious arm talent. <laughs> yeah. Sean McVay is a good coach. Like, this is this is actually can work. I mean, it's funny. I, I was pretty out on Tutu and Puka and some of those guys, but I also made the case a lot in August that uh, I didn't think McVay and Stafford were just going to pack it up and this idea that their whole season was just going to immediately implode. I was like, that's what happened last year. But the, that was coming off a year where they played 21 games the year prior, and there might have been a little bit of a Super Bowl hangover. McVay was thinking about retiring after he wins the Super Bowl, and they're not maybe as super motivated, and then they get some injuries, and they're like, ah, yeah, we are kind of thin. They did lose a lot of talent this offseason. They, they obviously had pushed in all the chips to, to get that Super Bowl run. But you also had to be like, look, their motivation is going to be different this offseason. They don't want to just suck forever after their Super Bowl. It's there's a reason there's a Super Bowl hangover and, and you play a lot of games deeper into February, you have a shorter off season and you're maybe not as motivated to get right back in the film room the very next day. And then you have a really difficult season like they did. And McVeigh, when you listen to that podcast series, I just talked about the play callers went through some tough stuff in, in the locker room and with some of his other coaches and things. And he's like, I'm not going to be that way anymore. Had to work on his mental health and some of those things, but not all that surprising to me that when you have a quarterback like Matthew Stafford, an offensive line uh, mind like Sean McVay that they come out and actually have, they look sharp. They, they have some answers, right, for, for the 2023 landscape, even if it is with guys that we didn't really expect to be superstars in Pukunakua and Tutu Atwell that are doing really well. Obviously, Van Jefferson couldn't get involved. He's unfortunately, you know, still, still struggling. But Pukunakua and Tutu Atwell had really strong games. Uh, the other team, obviously, that had answers, also featured in that play callers 
podcast was the Dolphins. And you talk about the, you know, explosive big play guys are going to start making the plays. Well, I mean, I was thinking about Tyreek Hill, as you said that. He looked like that dude. And, yeah, I mean, I was I was, I was leaning cup over Tyreek for most of the offseason. So I have a lot of cup. But we also took a decent amount of Tyreek. But if you have Tyreek early, you have to feel really content. But as you noted also, Tua, Sean. Well, there'd be no way to go back and take Jamar Chase over Hill. Two. Over Hill. I mean, just, yeah. just one game. Yep. You don't want to overstate what happened, but those things are so far on the opposite ends of the spectrum, and it is meaningful. And one of the things is we have a lot of Waddle, and he obviously didn't have the big game. But if anything, I'm more excited for him yeah. than I was before the day started because, yeah. I mean, if you can throw for like 500 yards, right. then the yards are coming. The touchdowns are coming. I mean, his speed has not changed. <laughs> Yeah, obviously Tyreek is is the huge win, but but I was thinking, man, what are the teams where I have some combination of all th- you know of, of those three of of Tyreek, of Tua, and of Waddle as well? Because they they did that and they traded big games a little bit last year, and yeah, obviously Tyreek had the bigger season than Waddle, but the idea of taking both Tyreek and Waddle that high was how concentrated the volume was between those two last year. And it was again pretty concentrated. They got some other guys involved. It's kind of interesting. I thought it was encouraging that those players were able to make the plays to keep the yeah. drives alive, so that Hill and Waddle are going to be able to get right. the stuff done. Braxton Berrios, River Craycraft catches a tee. Durham Smythe gets targeted several times and looks like he could be an interesting tight end, even. Um, but yeah, exactly. Those guys, you, you need the ancillary players. It can't just be the two players. But clearly, they're not going to cut into Tyreek Hill and, and Jalen Waddle. It's going to be everything that Tyreek and Waddle can take, they will get in, in an offense that looks great. I mean, that's the that's the defense that really stifled them last year, late in the season. That's Everyone talked about how they struggled in the last five games or whatever. Their really bad game was the one in Los Angeles against Brandon Staley's defense, who's another guy from that, you know, play callers coaching tree. He had answers for Mike McDaniel and, and the way that they were attacking on the in-breaking routes. And Tua wasn't able to hit the outbreaking routes. He completed 10 passes in that game. He was 10 for 24. Really, really poor game late in the year. And then he just went and put up these huge numbers against the same thing. So the question for this year with the Dolphins was, was anything a little bit gimmicky last year? Will McDaniel have more answers? Well, he went up against a defensive coordinator that stifled him late last year, and he had more answers clearly. So, I mean, that's got to be really bullish. And so we go through a week one where, I mean, it's not just four teams, but there were four teams that we were very heavily invested in for sure. And those teams would be the Dolphins and the 49ers and the Seahawks and the Steelers. And so you get two big wins and two... I don't know if you can call them big losses, but probably you could call them big losses. So we'll see kind of how this evolves over the next two or three weeks. I didn't think that this was a great way for the Steelers to go into the season playing the 49ers defense. So that part had worried me a little bit. And then if you know that during the comeback time, Deontay Johnson's going to be out with a hamstring injury. I mean, he's a very crucial part of that. As soon as he went out, you're like, well, I mean, now these guys are not going to get open. So and you got, you got to see the circus catch from Pickens, but out of bounds. The Seahawks one, in some ways, is less egregious, but it's also worrying. I think you have a little bit of a concern there with Lockett. JSN did not do anything or look good today. I, I guess I'm not that concerned about either of the teams yet, but we do need them to, to perk up over these next couple of weeks. You mentioned the Niners as well, though, and again, the Playmakers making plays. Brandon Ayuk was the drumbeat guy all offseason. He looked good. <laughs> that route on his first touchdown uh, got the, the the cornerback. I mean, he went right at him, right, and did the little option route, broke in, got the cornerback basically falling over, breaking his ankles, and creates just a ton of separation in the end zone for an easy throw. And then his second TD is a contested catch at the front pylon that's a really tight window throw and he gets physical and makes that play. And that's, I mean, you love to see 
obviously the route running and the ability to get open, but also then the, the, you know, the contested catch ability. Like that's the that's the range of everything that you need to do as a wide receiver. He put it all on display. You can see why he's been getting hype all offseason from his teammates, from his coaches, from every beat reporter. Uh, definitely excited to have him on teams. Christian McCaffrey reminded us that he's Christian McCaffrey. Debo looked so good. good, I thought, too. So I mean, I immediately yeah, thought alternate. I'd rather have more IU than Debo, but then Debo would make some plays, and I'd be like, oh, he looks good, too. He's going to have some just massive eruption games. He's going to have a game or two that reminds people of what Tyreek Hill did today. The Probably the best moment of draft season at this point, as I kind of think back, is that moment where we were able to get Christian McCaffrey at the 106 for the chasing stolen bananas team. So that's one that you know, sort of offsets that Dobbins situation. And yeah, I mean, off to the races. Ben, this was such a, a fantastic week one. Enjoyed this conversation with you so much. Can't wait to do some more of these. We may do them many weeks, not necessarily every week. We'll just kind of have to see how it all develops. But I'd like to thank all the listeners so much for everything leading into the season. I hope you had the kind of week one that you needed or at least generated some excitement and i mean just it feels good for football to be back good luck to everybody tonight obviously we're recording this sunday night but you're listening sometime on monday if you need Brees hall hopefully he plays more than a couple snaps if you need garrett wilson hopefully he goes for i mean why not but like 15 203 right get you all the way back from whatever your your margin is Good luck to everybody. This has been Stealing Bananas. I'm Sean Siegel. With me, as always, is Ben Gretsch. You can follow him at Yards Per Gretsch. The peak stealing signals time of the year is here. The next couple days are going to be huge for Ben. Make sure you get over there and check those out. Absolute must-read stuff there over the next couple of days. We'd also love to have you guys over at Rotoviz. Want to save a little bit on that subscription? Use the coupon code RVRADA2023 at checkout. We love you guys. We'll talk to you soon.